This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Punnett. And this is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. What a reaction, Marjorie Punnett. I don't think I've ever gotten a reaction as big to one of our podcast episodes as I have to the one uh, two weeks ago where we talked about my nest being broken into. Boy, I would say. And it's message after message after message, particularly from a lot of people, which this part was really hard from people saying, I know exactly how you feel because it happened to me. And then sharing their stories of being broken into or having their sense of safety violated or someone that they love and then trying to pick up the pieces and moving forward. I will say a disheartening part is reading about how long that violation stays with you. Because it doesn't seem to be a quick fix. Like I'm having people tell me that 10 years later, they still replay those moments in their minds and that this healing from this is not something that's a quick process, as the Canadians say. You know, I love the process. Well, that makes sense, though, because as we talked about before, is what was shattered is your sense of order and safety. Yeah. And so it's very hard. Once that's broken, you know it can be broken. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So it's very hard to repair that because you can repair it and you can try and make yourself feel safe and you can, you know, hire a security guard. You can put up more cameras. You can do all sorts of things. You can get a guard dog. You can do all sorts of things. But the truth of it is, is you know that that can be broken. That sense Mm -hmm. of safety, the sense of well-being, the sense of having autonomy over your surroundings. It is a moment where you have to realize how fragile all of that is. And I think that's why the recovery is difficult is because it puts you in this really state of fragility. Yeah, it does. And then the other tricky thing about it is that you don't know what the solution is. So you just listed all of those things that are options. Turns out, Marjorie Punnett, not everybody thinks that the solution, that the right solution is the right thing for them. And I have been learning that as I've been (laughs) discussing this with neighbors, including a neighbor that I had a conversation with that was, it was very uncomfortable. It was a very uncomfortable conversation because I was talking with this woman and I'd never met her before. 
and what had happened was that I realized through our neighborhood WhatsApp, you know, I've talked about this before, that we right. have a neighborhood communication system. It's on WhatsApp. Kids today, I don't know. It's like a texting system. I still don't really get why I have WhatsApp, but I'm glad what it's not do? a group text because I don't need another something of that. So on the WhatsApp, it became very clear that an option that I think should be on the table, and by I, I mean my family. So right. my husband and I are in agreement should not be on the table at all for this other woman in the neighborhood. And it was just so interesting because you, I don't know, I feel hopeful because I feel like people are having the hard conversations. I feel hopeless because I think that this is a micro example of why we are in this standstill constantly, because even if you somewhat agree on a baseline of ideal, right? Like the baseline of ideal, I think that all of us agree on, we want our neighborhood to be safe. Right. But that looks very different for different people. And the means to that end look very different Way for very people. Different. And, and I'm having these thoughts of like, and I think a lot of people are having these thoughts that I sort of thought of myself as one, um, as one political description and then I'm learning that maybe I'm not that at all. <laughs> like, it's just, I'm having like a real self-evaluation and just sort of identity crisis of like, what is happening here? And I'll go back to that conversation and just say, without trying to be too cryptic, you know, I'm just trying not to like out this person or who right. she is. She's, I'm sure she's a wonderful woman. Right. She and I, this, it was not a great conversation on my end. I also felt like I got a little bit emotionally out of control because I am, I am very emotional about the fact that my home was broken into. Right. And I feel like if you didn't experience that directly, it might be challenging for you to imagine where I'm at in this moment. And that the action that I would prefer to take might be stronger than the action that you would prefer to take. Right. That being said, I also realized about myself that I think I need to get more comfortable having uncomfortable conversations because I, I don't like it. I didn't like it at all. But I don't know how to avoid, you have to have uncomfortable conversations in order to have progress. And if you just want out of the conversation, how can you get anything done? You see why right. I'm having an existential crisis. This is an existential crisis, but it's an important <laughs> one. And I think to your point is this is a, a micro look at what is going on in our country is this idea of we have to be in the uncomfortable conversations, which help us to find the middle way, which help us to the solution. That if none of us have the uncomfortable conversations in a civil way, there will not be progress. So when we we scream at each other or we don't listen to each other or we judge each other because we don't understand where that person's coming from, it does feel a bit hopeless. And that idea of you being uncomfortable because she has one solution, perhaps, and you have another solution, perhaps, what is the way? You know, ultimately, the neighborhood's going to have to figure out the way, the way to protect all of you. And that is uncomfortable because I think you're you are sort of being a little bit vague about it. But what we're talking about are do you do extreme security? And I'm just saying in general, these would be the options. I'm not outing anybody's options, but I'm sure there are neighborhoods out there that hire security guards 
with guns if that's legal. Yeah. I'm not even right. sure that's legal. No, it totally is. And yes. Yeah. So <laughs> that to me would seem like an extreme solution. Now go down the gradations of what else you could do from security guard with no gun to organized neighborhood watches and walks to everybody gets a certain kind of dog in their yard to, I mean, you could just keep going down all of the different ways, but at some point the neighborhood's going to have to find compromise. And you can, like you've said, you can see how difficult it is on this one personal issue. No wonder the healthcare debate was a mess. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Because it just goes on forever. The one thing I do know is that in talking just on my social media and how many people have told me that this has happened to them, I mean, I'm just seeing it also in my city over and over and right. over again. And there's a juice bar near my house called the dripping root, which is like the best name for a juice bar. And it's owned by a <laughs> wonderful woman named Katisha. And she did, she crowdsourced, she did everything she could to fund opening this juice bar. And it was such a road for her. And she wanted to create, She, I think she's the first black owned juice bar in Minnesota. I mean, there aren't that many juice bars in Minnesota. Let's be truthful about that. And right. then she also wanted to redefine what wellness looked like, because if you have this idea of what a wellness influencer looks like on Instagram, you can all paint that picture. Right. And, right. um, and it's, it, it's generally like a size zero white person who's young. I mean, that's just right. the truth of like kind of the face of wellness. And she wanted to redefine that and show that all sorts of bodies and colors and ages can be focused on their wellness and should right. be and should have right. access to that. Anyway, she was just broken into just after we were broken into. And this, I think, was like her fourth break in. Oh. Her oh. car was broken into, which contained the key to a U-Haul that was loaded up with thousands of dollars worth of product that was going to be set up at an event in the Twin Cities. It was like her biggest event that she'd ever done. Okay. The U-Haul key gets stolen. She gets there, realizes what had happened. They can't get into the U-Haul in time to make the deadline to load up and set up at this event. So she's at risk of thousands of dollars. I mean, she's she's basically at risk of going out of business, I think. I mean, she didn't say that explicitly, but like- But this is- it's a small business. I mean, yeah, thousands are on the margins. Your own, yeah. yeah. I mean, even in your house, you're thousands of dollars away from something happening. Like that's the way that it is. Right. So I went there to go visit and get some juice and just support her. And I think it's just hard to see people look so tired and feeling like every time there's just so many unnecessary bumps in the road. Life has enough bumps in the road. Right. You know what I mean? Like you never know when this when a diagnosis is going to happen or when you're going to lose someone unexpectedly or when anything is going to happen. But this just feels like a constant bump in the road because we as a city and a community like can't freaking get it together. I mean, it's just, and it's, a, it's impacting everyone. It is impacting everyone. Well, I was and reading I through just, a lot of the comments that people were sending to our Facebook account and that idea yeah. of how it impacts everyone I do think the city, and, and you live there, I do not, is at a crisis point because the conversation that's happening in this around this issue of crime and break-ins and feeling un unsafe and carjackings, the conversation is what we what we titled the last episode, which is stay or go. Stay or mm -hmm. go. And from a city perspective, you lose a business like the dripping root 
that is something to mourn. If a small businesswoman who was dedicated and passionate about bringing something experiential and healthy to a city goes away, that has community impact. And, you know, that goes back to, again, the uncomfortable conversations is got to have them, got to have them to find the way. So, Marjorie, one thing that has been so interesting is the response from nesters who are the best. You guys are the absolute best. And the continual thread from messages that I keep getting is that, Elizabeth, you need to take care of yourself and you've experienced a trauma. This is a trauma because even though I wasn't home at the time of the break in that that violation of your sense of safety is a trauma and you need to slow down and make sure that you're taking care of yourself. So I'm doing some active things to do that. Just so you know, you know, sauna sessions and all the things. But what I'm trying to figure out is the line of how does that trauma inform my future action? Because I want that, that emotion and that feeling to be a motivating factor. And at the same time, I don't want it to cloud my judgment in terms of being able to make decisions about the statements that I need to make going forward. Because we all know if you're in this like heightened emotional state, which I actually kind of found myself in a little bit in this conversation that I keep alluding to, that that feeling of like, you don't know what I've been through. You don't feel what I've been through. And so do you, for you to make assumptions about what is the right, the right thing for you is definitely different than the right thing for me because of what I have experienced. I am, am I don't think it's not, um, I think it's understandable that one who has been through a trauma would expect more action to be taken to prevent it from happening to somebody else or to happening to you again than someone who hasn't experienced that same trauma. Like my, my neighbor said, people might feel differently if their kids were the ones sleeping upstairs when someone broke into their home. Definitely. You feel differently. And so I'm trying to figure out how to ride that line of have it, of have that experience being able to communicate that clearly to people while at the same time, not having it completely take over how I look at the world and the actions I need to take. Does that make sense what I'm struggling with here? What makes, it makes perfect sense. And what you're looking for is data. You're looking for, this isn't only your experience. Yes, you can come and you can testify. You can say, this is what happened to me, but it isn't about me. This is what's happening to our community. This is what's happening to small business owners. This is what's happening. Then it takes it out of that. Because what you're looking for is the line of how to express yourself without it being the extreme emotion of, I have been traumatized. And yeah. people don't, it's horrible to say people don't care because I think they do, but it's easy to marginalize that. It's easy yeah. to make that small. It's what you've been saying all along, a smash and grab, Elizabeth, get over it or whatever somebody might say, but it's not about that. And I think if I'm hearing you correctly, the line you're talking about is how do you walk that so that your experience gets to be real and heard and understood, but that people also can empathize with you and then also see the bigger picture of what's happening. Yeah. And that's really the key. I mean, the story you told about the juice bar this morning, these are in, in little instances, they're, they're traumas for all of you together. It's a trauma for a community and for the people that haven't experienced it, who haven't had their home broken into, that's what you need to make them understand is yes, this is my individual trauma that I think maybe you won't ever understand what it feels like until it happens to you. And I hope it doesn't happen to you. But please understand, this is the trauma of your community. 
And your community will change if these little traumas keep happening, if that juice bar goes away. Where you like to take your kids in the stroller and you like to walk over there and have a friendly conversation with somebody who loves their business so much as and invested in the community. If that trauma keeps happening to that business owner, she's going to go away. Yeah, she's then, not going to make it. And then that's going to be a trauma for you because you've lost something that enriched your life and your neighborhood. So I think it really does come down to personal testimony and data. What's happening? What is happening? And mm-hmm. somebody to pull that together and to be able to speak to that in an articulate way, in a big picture way, that the people who aren't dealing with a trauma will understand it, that this will touch you. Even if nobody breaks into your house, this will touch you. I don't know. I mean, it's a big job. It's exhausting. I know. It's really exhausting. I know. And even like, as I was asked, like, how is this meeting going to go on Sunday? And I was like, I don't freaking know. I have three kids and a job. Like I've been just, <laughs> I, I I like offered up my yard. I'm not trying to, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like I haven't right. strategized the agenda as I've been just trying to make it through the 80,000 responsibilities that I have on any given day. And this is what you touched on too. And talking about, you know, your parents being activists and how wonderful mm. that, I, and I think how, like how impactful that is, but the reality of it is that if that is not your full-time job, if you're not an elected city council person who's making $106,000 a year as you are in right. the city of Minneapolis, like I have a full-time job and right. I have three little children and I have a life that I would like to live. And I just started thinking about like all of these big issues that have gone on throughout time and how people say like, it just sounds so exhausting. It's, I mean, and it's clearly, it's definitely what you hear from the BIPOC community where you hear just like, we're tired. We're just so tired. It's so exhausting. Well, and as we talk about what that means to a family, I am a reaction to parents who were activists and both had full-time jobs. My mother worked, my father had his own business. My father was more the activist than my mother, very much so, which meant Sundays were gone because he started a bingo game at a very famous at the Aragon Ballroom in Chicago that was every Sunday to raise money for the Catholic school that I went to, which was the poorest Catholic school in the Chicago Archdiocese, I think at the time. I could be wrong of it, but it didn't have a lot of money. So he took it upon himself. My father left this country when he was in his 50s. When he died in the town he died in, in Mexico, he was honored a million different ways in that town. He was the worst grandfather any child could ever ask for. So you you look at that and you think that was in his soul. That was necessary to do. And the only way I could contextualize it is he did some really amazing things down there. And they needed him. And I found a way not to. But that's so when you're balancing out, like how much can you give? How much do you give? My father was the extreme. My mother was more mediated in her activism. But I was a reaction to that in that I was very much family focused. My family came first at all costs. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be a balancing act, even if you're having a meeting on Sunday. Well, that changes your Sunday, doesn't it? Yeah. And so it's, it's hard. And I guess I'm only saying all this is because it's hard. It's hard, but it's, it's, it comes from need. And there is a need right now for people to step up in your community. And you're, I think, being called to do it. That's hard. I don't want to answer a call. I just want to sit <laughs> in my garden. 
<laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. Just because I don't want to do something doesn't mean I won't do it. I know. But I can still say I don't want to do it. <laughs> I know. I know. And I'm just yeah. I'm just trying to tell you I get it. Time is so precious, especially for families and the age yeah. that your kids are. Time is precious. But the best thing about it is if you have that meeting in your garden on Sunday, I will say this, you'll be, you will be modeling something beautifully for your children, Yeah, which is I community, so. which I is community so. and agency and power. Y'all have power. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think always a good reminder to me that, wow, there are people out there who look at the world so differently than me. And that's a good reminder. And it's not, yes. it's a good thing to go, Oh gosh. Okay. Cause there's something to be learned for sure. There's certainly, there's something to be learned about myself. I mean, yeah. the other people have to figure out their own paths. This is just bringing up a lot. What's hard is like, I'm, it's bringing up a lot that I kind of, I kind of had hoped that we were through and that we were moving forward. And I, I don't like, I've realized this much about myself too. Like, I don't like this I don't like a hamster wheel. I don't like the idea of purgatory. These Catholics, Marjorie Punnett, you people in your purgatory make me very <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> I cannot handle it. I could see you. If you got stuck in purgatory, it'd be okay. Oh. Hold on. Okay, so I'm stuck here. Can you give me 10 ways that I can extricate myself from this situation? And I'll start hammering away at those because I won't be in purgatory long. Give me a month tops and I'm out of purgatory. Just if anybody's show me getting the way out of purgatory, it's going to be me. I'm getting yes. out of purgatory. Like that hamster wheel yeah. feels, it's it's hamster wheel purgatory. <laughs> I just like. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Album, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Ah, it makes me like so unsettled. And that's that's sort of how I felt. And so then it all comes out. I don't know, you guys. I share too much information on this podcast. And um that's that's the way it goes. But yeah, it's be, I haven't think- certainly haven't solved anything today. But I'll be thinking about purgatory for the rest of the day. I need to go look that up again to see exactly what that means. I know there was a time in my life where I was very afraid of purgatory. It's funny because as a Lutheran, and this is no disrespect to Catholics because I have many Catholic friends and I very much appreciate many things about Catholicism. But when you're raised Lutheran, like sometimes it feels like Catholics are from the moon. I mean, it's like (laughs) there's these things that you're like, wait, so we believe the same but we don't, don't really at all believe the same. Like well, none of this stuff applies. Like it's very, don't you think that's interesting? Well, it was that, so confusing to me. You know, it's funny when I said to you and in my heart or in my head, I kind of know that you were raised Lutheran, but I will say that was a very Catholic moment that everything that isn't Catholic, that's Christian is just all together. And I'm not proud to say that. It's like you're Methodist, Lutheran, like, because when you're raised Catholic, particularly in Chicago, you're very isolated. I didn't really know any other people other than Catholics, really, really, until like I left home at 17. And then, then, then you start meeting all sorts of people. But it's just a very strange way to grow up. 
no, it's not. I shouldn't say that. I, I, I had wonderful teachers and it's fine. I mean, I went to Catholic schools my whole life. So that's why yeah. I was so insulated. But, but when you look back, you can see that just some yeah. of these things are strange. It's like things that you sort of were just, you just go, I remember being like, you're praying to Mary. What's oh. Mary doing? Like, well, this Mary is says everything. You know, and then my dad would be like, we're not praying to Mary. It's not what we're doing. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, a beautiful thing that we were praying to Mary. Listen, I, I like mean, a lot of things about the Catholic yeah. Church. I like that that uh, magic wand that beams the water over everybody okay. that's getting blasted everywhere. I'm very big into Please. water right now. I've been not learning a lot about structured water. Not called okay, the magic whatever. wand. Fair enough. I don't know I, what it's called, but okay, I know no, it's not called. Well, I'm not, I don't want to disrespect. There's no disrespect, but that, no. that's the only way I can describe the image of it. Yes. And Do you I not like have that in the Lutheran No church? one's spraying water on us. No, no, no. There's no, is like, there any, is there any incense dangling? Absolutely not. Wait, not you don't a, get incense? There's no incense. Oh, no. the incense, especially like when they really get it going and you're almost choking on it. It's fantastic. You're just transported to a whole nother place. No, you're lucky well, if you get real bread at communion, which I just went to a church a couple of weeks ago that had real bread. And then I right. was given the option to dunk it versus drink out. I've, I'm very uncomfortable with drinking out of the same cup. The and I'm not cup. even like a germaphobe yeah. person. Like, yeah, you know like me, that. I'm not like that. I like the real bread being dunked. I don't like those trashy wafers that we had at my church growing up. They're, they're, they're like you, cardboard. I was thinking- in a lot of trouble right now this isn't even a real food this is not this isn't a real food i, I need some bread this church uses bread from a local bakery it was wonderful that's, that's that was is very, the church oh for my you. gosh i was like well, this is the body of christ given for me because it is fermented <laughs> sourdough and that see i love the wafer so i gotta say i would never ever ever say trashy wafer because there's nothing better than playing with it in your mouth and it getting stuck on the top of your mouth so as a kid I gooey what's it feeling. made out of? don't ask don't ask but i'll tell you i'm going to tell everybody a gross religious story right now and okay. then i'm going to have to make sure that it's okay to tell the story so i may have to edit it out so if you hear a big blank right here in the podcast i have edited out the story you can dm me and i'll tell you one by one <laughs> but so my husband is ordained in the episcopal church and he, for many years, when we lived in Minneapolis, served as a deacon. And when you, and the Episcopal Church is very familiar to me as a Catholic, like yeah. they're shades of a different thing. I couldn't yeah. tell you what those shades are, but it feels very similar. So when I would go to church in the Episcopal Church, it felt very homey to me. One of the strangest things though, and I never even realized within the Catholic Church, is when you take communion, the communal cup, I'm not comfortable with that either. I do not do that. I, but if you ever watch your priest go back or the deacon, they go back on the altar. Now, my husband doesn't drink at all. What's left in the chalice, they have to drink. Dug it? Because it's consecrated. So they can't pour it out. They have to drink it. And so I remember sitting with my sons who were quite young at the time. First of all, it's the first time they ever saw their father take a drink. And wow. second, you're drinking probably not the best wine ever. And it's just everybody's touched mouth. everybody's is... mouth. Mm -hmm. I know. Should we end on that? <laughs> How much did he have to drink? What do you think? Like a cup? A half a no. cup? No. But whatever was left. I know. Yeah, there's some interesting things. Yes. Which interesting I, things I will say I've revealed all of my ignorance today and I'm sorry about that I am religious study was not my 
strength. So I think if you can't talk about it with some love, then, you know, you have, you have to talk about it. It's like, it's like your sorority initiation. You're like, what is going on here? This is weird. This is weird and cult-like to be true. I mean, let's be fair. Every organization is one step away from being a cult. Doesn't take that long to get there. I mean, that's just the truth of the matter. I don't know what else to tell you brilliant things you've ever said and you've said many brilliant things but every organization is one step away from a cult i 100 percent agree we think that way about our nesters too let's start a cult let's start oh my gosh we all wear pink on wednesdays that's a mean girls right. reference i'm loving the feedback i'm loving the messages on the podcast and i love if there are examples of where you've gotten more comfortable being uncomfortable let me know because oh, that, love that is going to be what i will be working on I love that. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best to the Nest. We are the podcast that brings you home.